For women, our arousal period actually takes about 30 to 45 minutes for optimal pleasure and orgasm. And that's because men and women have the same tissues, genital tissues, but because men's are more externally located and women's are more internally located, it does cause an effect of um, difference in arousal cycles. So if women, if we're going into sex and we're going straight into penetration or we're going straight to the touch of the genitals, the vulva is not ready for that yet. All right, everyone, thank you for joining. Heal thyself, as always. The time that you're taking, with all the gratitude, thank you so much. Giving yourself pieces of what it means to be healthy. Giving yourself pieces of what it means to come back to your truest nature. And then giving that to others. Man, we are healing each other, we are healing the world. And thank you. Ready for today's show? Oh my Lord, I've been waiting to do a show on birth control. I sat on it for a little bit because I wanted to get all of the details together. I wanted to make it really, really good for y'all. Birth control show is here. If you are on birth control, anyone you love is on birth control, you gotta listen to this, you gotta hear it. This is the show of informed consent. So you know, what is the cost benefit behind birth control? Unfortunately, so many of us are in the dark and I'm gonna bring it all to the light. Additionally, we have an awesome, amazing, special guest, Dr. Kat Meyer. Man, this, she is the sex guru out here in LA. Anything that has to do with your sexual energy, who you are, how it expresses, and creative energy, not only just sexual, but sensual connection to all things around us. We talk about bettering sexual relationships with our partner. How do we speak and ask for what we want? How do we connect with each other on a sexual, sensual, energetic basis, whatever it is? I'm so excited to get her take on all things sex. Dr. Kat Meyer coming up soon. So without further ado, let's just get to this knowledge bomb. But before we do, let me just say a few words from our awesome Heal Thyself sponsors. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best and they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU, and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, 
our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's Liver Detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that has been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I Shop.com slash DRG. Now, I want to speak on birth control. I understand this topic can be very sensitive, right? Especially with the current climate out here in the United States and especially coming from a man. But my goal is not to sway you from a decision whether or not you should take it. But it is absolutely, as always, for whatever it is, to provide informed consent. So you have all of the information. You decide. What you decide is what you decide. It's outside of my hands. And I care only that you know the information, okay? So birth control pill is continued to be one of the most popular forms of contraception available for women in America and all over the world. 1960, the first oral contraceptive was introduced. The FDA approved it and the name of it was Enovid. It was a progesterone and estrogen mix, and it was known as the pill. So according to the American Medical Association, within two years of its initial distribution, 1.2 million Americans, women, were using birth control pills, or the pill, as it was popularly known. And since its introduction, more than 300 million women worldwide used the pill as a simple, safe, and effective means of achieving reproductive freedom. Or is it? So how do they work? Oral contraceptives contain estrogen and progestin. They're a combination of both, most of them. That's a combination pill. And it basically works like this. It keeps your ovaries from releasing the egg, as you know, but it blocks the communication between the brain and the ovaries. It's basically shut down for as long as you're taking it. Before we go into using birth control, who shouldn't be using birth control? Really important, we need to know this. Anyone with clotting disorders, anyone with a history of breast, uterine, or liver cancer, anyone with a history of stroke or heart attack, anyone with a disease that affects your blood vessels like diabetes or high blood pressure, gallbladder disease, very important. I'm gonna talk a little bit about this later. Make sure you talk to your doctor in detail, right? Be very clear about your medical history. They need to know this before you start. And if you smoke and take the pill, your risk of heart-related events skyrockets, especially if you're over 35. So before I jump into this, I want you to know that anytime you take a medication, whether it's birth control, whether it's an asthma inhaler, you should always look at something called the package insert. So what you can do is type in the medication, the name of it, right? And for this one, we'll be talking about Alessi. 
and that is the birth control, and then you can type in package insert and open it and just read through maybe the 10, 15, 20 pages of information. And it's important for you to know because this is true informed consent. This is an insert that needs to be legally transparent about what are your risks for taking this medication. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't go through the risks the way they should. So in the package insert for one of the most popular birth control pills, Alessi, out there, what we see is that there's an increased risk of several serious conditions that include venous and arterial thrombotic or thrombolytic events. These are blood clots, right? Such as myocardial infarction, a heart attack, thromboembolism, and stroke. Hepatic neoplasia, increased risk for liver cancer, gallbladder disease, blood pressure, right? Although all of these really serious risks are small, a lot of people, one of the first things they ask me about birth control is, will it raise my risk for cancer, particularly breast cancer? And I've always been saying the same things for a while. And actually, if you look on the package insert, the quote by the company is this, the risk of having breast cancer diagnosed may be slightly increased among current and recent users of combination oral contraceptives. However, this excess risk appears to decrease over time after combination oral contraceptive discontinuation happens. By 10 years after cessation, the risk basically disappears. And I actually stand by that. All the research is saying that as you get off birth control, it takes about 10 years for your risk of breast cancer to decrease. There is an elevated risk, but I will say this. Your risk goes up the earlier you start taking it and the longer you start taking it. So the longer you're on it, your risk is uh, higher and higher. Also, remember, not everyone's created the same. So if you're predisposed, you have a family history or personal history of breast cancer, or I just did a show on estrogen and estrogen metabolism. If you're not breaking down estrogen properly in the liver, if you're constipated, you have all of these other issues with your gut, then it stands to believe that your risk for breast cancer is elevated as well. What's another cancer associated with oral contraception? Indirect calculations have estimated that attributable risk for liver cancer to be the range of 3.3 cases per 100,000 users. So it's small and it's there, but it increases after four or more years of usage. So again, if you have a family history of liver cancer, if you have hepatitis, if you smoke, if you drink, if you have any liver issues, right? Really important to know because the pill is taxing on your liver. And if you're taking birth control, you need to get your liver tested once a year. Go ask your doctor for an AST test, ALT, ALP, GGT, and bilirubin. Five tests to see the health of your liver and gallbladder to make sure that you're clearing, filtering, metabolizing, and the health of your organ is optimal overall. Also consider doing a liver supportive protocol while you're on your regimen. Talk to your doctor about what herbs or nutraceuticals would best fit your picture of health. What else can you do to support your liver when you're on the pill? Eat sulfur-rich foods. Really important, cruciferous vegetables, broccoli sprouts, really one of my favorite ones, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts. Eat more root veggies beets, carrots, artichokes. What about quality protein? If you're vegan, make sure you're getting enough protein-rich foods. I would also suggest having healthy fats like coconut oil, avocado oil, cold-pressed organic olive oil, olives. Make sure your hydration is really, really up to par, about half your body weight in ounces. This is really important. If you're on the pill, the other side of it is that you really need to take care of yourself even more. And you gotta get rid of the things to disrupt your liver health. High fructose corn syrup, sugary foods, Alcohol, cigarettes, seed oils like canola oil, soy oil, cottonseed, safflower, sunflower oil. Get off of those seed oils and make sure that you're really protecting your liver. 
If you're on the pill, you also got to do the same thing with your gut. You have to make sure you're taking care of your gut. If you have gut issues, if you're constipated, big issue. I actually wouldn't recommend someone to be on the pill if they're constipated or with gut issues. So make sure you're optimizing your gut health. Why? The gut plays a major role in estrogen metabolism, right? After it's broken down in the liver, your estrobilome, the bacteria in your gut, release something called beta-glucuronidase. This is an enzyme that helps liberate estrogen. When it's imbalanced in the body, beta-glucuronidase is overactive, and what you're doing is liberating more and more estrogen. You need to be pooping if you are on birth control. This is so important. We can't play around with this, okay? Your gut health needs to be at the highest, most optimal. Remember, the pill would disrupt your gut microbiome too and its integrity, so making sure your tight junctions of your intestines are really, really at the most optimal health. Taking care, utilizing herbs that soothe the gut lining, utilizing probiotics, for fermented foods, prebiotic foods that are actually feeding that gut microbiome. All the things you need to do if you're on the pill. Oral contraceptives have been shown to cause glucose intolerance also for a significant percentage of users. Oral contraceptives containing greater than 75 micrograms of estrogens can cause hyperinsulinism, right? While the lower dose of estrogen can cause less glucose intolerance. This is important. This may be the sole reason why people, there's certain people, there's a group of women who take birth control, who actually develop new acne. It could be because of blood sugar dysfunction. Now, metabolic health is a major driver of disease, period not just acne. When you couple that with a chronically poor diet with inflammatory foods, what you're going to see is metabolic dysfunction that is going to cause issues in every single system in the body. A small proportion of women will also have hypertriglyceridemia. These are when your triglycerides are elevated. So if you're on the pill, make sure, along with the liver test that I just mentioned, you get the fasting glucose test, HbA1c, triglycerides checked every single year on a physical to make sure they're not out of balance. So what are some adverse reactions coming from oral contraceptive pills? Acne, amenorrhea, that's the loss of your period, anaphylactic reactions, including urticaria, angiodemia, severe reactions in the respiratory or circulatory system, right? So any skin issues or shortening of breath can happen. Breast changes, tenderness, pain, enlargement of the breast, secretions through the breast. Bud Chiari syndrome, this is when the hepatic veins start growing or block, they get blocked, and then the veins that drain to the liver are narrowed by a clot of cells. So this causes a backup in the liver, the liver starts growing, it's a big problem, medical emergency. Cervical erosion, and secretion in the cervix. Uh, chorea, which is a neurological disorder. If you have it, it's gonna be exacerbated by birth control. Colitis, inflammation of the colon. Uh, intolerance to contact lenses. You may have experienced this already. Changes in the, and that's because you're having a change in the corneal curvature of your eyes. Dizziness, edema, fluid retention, very common. A lot of women gain weight on birth control. Erythema multiforme, which is basically a skin disorder or allergic reaction. Erythema nodosum, these are bumps that are found symmetrically in the shins. You may have found that. Very common gastrointestinal symptoms like abdominal pain, cramping, bloating, hirsutism, which is growing of hair in the body. You might find mustache hair, arm hair, armpit hair growing. Infertility after discontinuation of treatment, very, very important to talk about. I'm gonna talk about it a little bit later. 
issues with lactation, libido changes, melasma you may find. A lot of women get melasma with birth control. These are basically dark spots caused by estrogen in the face, exacerbated by the sun. Changes in your menstrual flow, mood changes, depression, nausea, nervousness. Pancreatitis, pretty common when it comes to inflammation of the pancreas when you're on birth control. Rashes, scalp, hair loss, increase in folate levels in the serum, increase or decrease in your folate, your B vitamin levels, spotting of blood, lupus can be exacerbated, vaginitis or yeast infections, uh, varicose veins, vomiting, weight loss, weight gain. These are all things that we see in women who are on birth control. So we really have to understand, although the risks are small, they're there and you can develop any of these and is it worth it, right? It's, and that's for you to answer, not me. Um, and the following adverse reactions have been reported in users of oral contraceptives, cataracts, cystitis-like syndromes, dysmenorrhea, issues with your period, uh, hemorrhagic eruptions, optic neuritis, basically the nerve of the eye becomes inflamed, and kidney issues, right? So if you're on birth control, be very aware of any pain that you may have in your calf, sudden, sharp, deep pain, uh, chest pain, shortness of breath, heavy chest. If you're suddenly dizzy or vomiting, have a severe headache, a fever. If you feel numbness in the body, yellowing of the eyes. If all of a sudden you develop lumps in the breast or pain in your abdomen, especially on the upper right part. Pain in your reproductive organs. Bowel changes, energy changes, sleep changes, mood changes, appetite changes. Very, very important to take note of it and immediately talk to your doctor, okay? Aside from preventing getting pregnant, birth control pills are also utilized and prescribed for women with bad acne, irregular menstrual periods, and PMS. As a matter of fact, more than half of the prescriptions for birth control are for acne, dysmenorrhea, or PMS. That's 50%, right? And of that 50%, 31% are for menstrual pain, 28% for menstrual irregularities, 14% for acne, 4% for endometriosis, 11% for unspecified hormonal problems and others, right? But it's crazy to me because we're not treating the root cause of acne. We're just giving a pill, assuming that it's a hormonal thing. And it isn't always. And it will help when you're on it, but when you're off of it, it'll come back. We speak about all the things for skin health and the root causes of acne and how to heal it and irregular menstrual periods and PMS. I spoke about that in a recent show. We gotta be optimizing our gut health, our microbiome, how we're breaking down estrogen in the liver, how we're detoxifying it. Are we optimizing it? Are we taking the things in, the foods, the supplements, the lifestyle stuff? These are all the things how we get to the root, not just giving a pill and assuming it's going to fix every ill, especially hormones. So to get back to rhythm, because a lot of you are gonna go, okay, I wanna get off birth control, and unfortunately, suffer with something called post-birth control syndrome, which is real. A lot of women get off birth control and they suffer with so many ailments, and then they go, I need to go back on birth control. So uh, I would actually recommend Dr. Jolene Brighton wrote a book called Beyond the Pill. It's a full breakdown of what birth control is, some of the risks that I spoke about on this show, but also she leads you and holds your hand to get through post-birth control syndrome, right? To make sure that you're able to restore your body. What do you need? Do you need to get on a protocol? How does it look for you, okay? So about 40% of women who come off the pill are met with menstrual issues. The pill is not a solution to women coming in with health issues. It's handed out like candy when women present with any hormonal issue. And as Dr. Brighton says in the book, I'm here to tell you the pill won't fix your period. It's not a long-term solution to hormonal imbalance by any means. And the body, remember, it always rebounds. So if something's suppressed, 
And the longer it's suppressed, the moment you get off of it, there's a rebound effect. And post-birth control syndrome is that. We see acne, hormonal irregularities come back, loss of menses, infertility, PCOS, hypothyroid. We see hair loss, I've seen that in patients. Depression, anxiety, gut issues, even autoimmune disease develop just by getting off the pill. Some tips to remember and how to temper post-birth control syndrome is understand that the pill is a nutrient depleter. So we have to replete ourselves with nutrients when we're on it, right? And by we, I see women. I'm just feeling really connected to this. Uh, so when we talk about the nutrients, B6, zinc, and magnesium are really, really important ones that we need to be replenishing. Go back to the book. She'll give you a full breakdown. And there you'll find protocols specifically for what manifests for you. If it's headaches, adult acne, hair loss, you, there's a whole chapter on irregular periods and all the manifestations of that with a protocol. And the likelihood is that you may suffer with one, two, or even all of these within four to six months of getting off the pill. So to get back, make sure you're starting with foundational stuff, organic fruits, organic veggies, beans, legumes, seeds, nuts, quality protein, more spices, healthy water, half your body weight at least in ounces, healthy fats, stress-reducing techniques. And also there are alternative methods for birth control that you really should start looking into and see if it's right for you. There's the standard days method, cervical mucus or ovulation method, two-day method, the symptothermal method, right? Condoms, as we know, diaphragm, sponge, copper, IUD, which can come with its own set of issues. The pull-out method, tubal ligation. If you heard of these or haven't heard, start researching. Talk to your doctor and see if it's right for you, right? If you talk to your doctor and you're considering an alternative method and they can't help you, then find a new doctor. If they're pushing the pill instead, then put on your track shoes and run, right? You need someone to meet you where you're at on what you want to do and have the competency to help guide you. So if you're on the pill, now you have all of the information you need to make an informed decision. If you weren't given this information and just got right on the pill, it's really important to start considering what are the pros and the cons. And maybe, just maybe, you can go, go get Dr. Jolene Brighton's book, Beyond the Pill, read through it, see what it really means to you, see what aligns with you. Because for me, if I had a daughter and she wanted to be on the pill, and that was her decision, I would really guide her in all of the things she needs to be doing when she's on it, like protecting her gut, protecting her liver, getting on the nutrients that are depleted, and also giving her alternatives and helping her make the choice that is right for her. And do the same for yourself, and parents, do the same for your daughter. All the love. I can't wait to get to this conversation with Dr. Kat Meyer. Man, I love talking about sex. Like Salt and Pepper said, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's get to the bottom line of how we can really, really radiate our truest, highest, most powerful, sexually aligned selves. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience to prove that it's not only delicious, but it's also health focus. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well-being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in that process is rooted in health-focused principles backed by solid, scientific, research-based, rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee 
apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication is my favorite is their dedication to purity and safety their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides toxins and harmful mycotoxins those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health causing issues like liver and kidney damage digestive problems brain fog and fatigue purity coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity and this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee and the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been open that I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights and these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. It trusts everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. Hey, all right, everyone, look at this. This is the second time I've had this amazing guest on the show, Dr. Kat Meyer. She's a sex and relationship psychotherapist. And man, I am blown away. Man, every time I look at her Instagram, she's got something that's pushing the envelope in a good way. And ones that challenges our own self, our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to our sex and sexuality, how we express that with our partner. And you know I love talking about sex on this show. Why? Because it is fundamental to our overall health. You cannot hide it in the closet anymore. This is the year it's coming out. She's also the founder of Sex love yoga amazing amazing podcast it is out sex love and psychedelics man she is doing all the things welcome to the show queen mm, thank you it's my pleasure to be here <laughs> oh man i'm so excited to have you on our last convo was fire we were talking about all the things sex but yeah i want to get deeper remember i said at the end of the show i want you back on here we're gonna go deeper yeah now the time has come yeah let's go deeper let's do it <laughs> 
right from the get-go then, all right? Why aren't women having enough orgasms? Oh, God. That is such a loaded question in such a good and terrible way. <laughs> so I get a lot of women who come to work with me in my, um, uh, in my private practice and in my uh, online courses telling me that they struggle with orgasm, that they have either have never experienced an orgasm before or they experience it but rarely or they experience it with their own self-pleasure but they can't experience it with their partner. So there are so many layers that we have to deconstruct around sex and around the way that our bodies work because in our culture, we have been given a male-oriented idea of what sex is, meaning that the stages of arousal are very linear. So for men, the way that their bodies operate is from arousal to plateau to orgasm to rest period. Women, <laughs> our cycles of arousal is actually more circular and there's a bunch of little squiggly lines that go out there because we're a lot more sensitive to uh, contacts and factors of contacts. So uh, it's teaching, it's having to reconstruct or uh, redefine what sex is and how sex works. For women, our arousal period actually takes about 30 to 45 minutes for optimal pleasure and orgasm. And that's because men and women have the same tissues, genital tissues, but because men's are more externally located and women's are more internally located, it does cause an effect of um, difference in arousal cycles. So if women, if we're going into sex and we're going straight into penetration or we're going straight to the touch of the genitals, the vulva is not ready for that yet. She needs a lot more warming up. She needs touch around the entire body, breathing, kissing, moving the body. And then in those 30 minutes, and again, this is optimal. I'm not saying you, you have to do this every time because quickies are great. But for this optimal experience, um, in, in order towards the... Um, the tissues to engorge, you know, the blood to flow through, the um, uh, lubrication to happen, it takes that long. And so we're rushing through this, we're going straight to penetration, uh, we're, pushing, we're pushing something in, whether it's a hand, a finger, or a cock, and we're telling our bodies, we're overriding our bodies, expecting them to go faster than what they naturally are supposed to be doing. And so of course we're gonna have trouble. You know, we're not ready yet. Uh, this also perpetuates women having difficult time with pain and sex. Again, their vulvas just aren't ready yet. Uh, so teaching women about how their bodies and men, and, and this is inclusive for trans and non-binary as well, but really teaching us about the anatomy of our body, um, teaching us all about also about how to tune into the cues of the body. You know, like the body's always talking to us. You know, we may light up and expand and feel fluttery feelings around a specific context. And then we feel a shutdown or a close or we pull away to another context. But again, if we are comparing ourselves to this image that we see in movies or we see in um, articles about what was you know, a socially constructed idea of sex, and we're comparing that to the way that our body actually is and the way that our body um, actually needs the authenticity of it, then we're going to hit up against this, this dissonance and only perpetuate the challenges that we experience. You know, same with men too. You know, men uh, might experience difficulty with, a, uh, with 
erections, you know, or with orgasm for themselves. And then we are still putting this image of sex, this definition of sex as penetration focused, genital focused to men too. And then what happens if there's a contextual factor or something going on that for whatever reason their cock isn't able to, to become erect, then they start shaming themselves or saying mm -hmm. that they're broken, something's wrong with them. Same with vulva owners too. And, and we get in this cycle again of this comparison rather than really learning about the body and actually being in the body. It, it, we end up in our head and we end up, you know, strategizing and trying to figure it out. But really it's just, yeah, relaxing, opening. And that's another piece too, because our culture is also very fixated on accomplishment and doing and productivity. And so it can cause us to be, uh, to rush or to, um, pressure ourselves to chase after an orgasm or to, to do something. Uh, to be the best lover, I think many of us have insecurities where we feel like we're not enough as a lover, we're not enough in the bedroom, and we're scared that we're not going to be able to pleasure them to the point of orgasm, as if it's some, like, pinnacle of yeah. successful sex. And if, in, But when we chase after it, we end up making it more elusive because, again, that's a very heady space to be. And we end up contracting into the body rather than relaxing. And orgasm needs the body to be able to relax. Orgasm in and of itself is a contraction, or at least the physical aspect of orgasm. And I'll, and I'll explain that in a moment. But if the body is already in a state of contraction, then it has more of a difficult time to be able to have that uh, you know, tense and release expression of it. Mm. Same with, um, God, I have so many women who in, don't even realize how much they're clenching on their pelvic floor. So there's a lot of tension built up in the muscles of the pelvic floor that make it difficult for them to be able to have, uh, have orgasm too. So for those women, it's teaching them a lot about relaxation, a lot of breath work. Um, and I guess really this goes with men and cock owners too, mm -hmm. <laughs> that this is really a... Um, beyond gender inclusive yeah. cultural <laughs> issue that yeah. we're having. Yeah, yeah. across yeah. the board. Across the board, yeah. And, and is it, would you say the number one reason why is because it's perpetuated by the way porn teaches us? Is that the visual direction that we're all taking as to sex should be performed quickly with this end point in mind anything less than is a failure. So I would say, and porn is a whole nother topic, but mm -hmm. porn itself, um, I would say male-oriented type of porn, mm -hmm. uh, but there is also a lot of ethical porn, a lot of ethical feminist uh, porn uh, directors who've made it where these are real orgasms, where there is um, warm-up. And I specifically use the word for warm-up, and I specifically use the word play, because I don't like the word foreplay. Foreplay indicates that it's uh, preceding something. And preceding what? And usually it's this culturally constructed idea that sex equals penetration. Right. So I'm trying to teach get away from that. Let's be more inclusive of sexual activity. It can be moving bodies. It can be breathing. It can be, uh, you know, moving energy through you. It could be making out, touching bodies, heavy petting. Um, it can be role play. It can be bondage. It can be 
um, talking fantasies. It can be so much, and we've narrowed it to this very small image of what it is, but we don't realize how we've excluded, you know, we've excluded trans people who may not want to connect with their genitals. We've excluded um, lesbians who don't necessarily penetrate. Mm -hmm. um, we've excluded so many people of the population saying you're not actually having sex. And so imagine how that impacts our minds. Yeah. So feminist porn, um, uh, ethical porn, includes those concepts so that when we're seeing those, we're given um, perspectives and we're given um, uh, reference points of how sex could be more than just that male-oriented porn image that we did grow up with. Mm -hmm. We did grow up with the Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, do we get a Wi-Fi? <laughs> internet. Yeah. Um, we had the internet and we had videos and we had magazines and mm -hmm. so, but all a lot of that was created through the male lens. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't want to demonize porn as much as I do want to educate it and teach people how to be conscious consumers rather than reject, demonize, and say you can't have that. Because when we do that, we actually create even more power around it and, and uh, a lot more of a struggle to find a healthier relationship with porn. Mm. Hearing this then, I think about a couple. And let's say, um, for example, we have uh, a woman and her partner is a man in, mm -hmm. this, in, this, in this example. Yeah. And she's listening to what you're saying. She goes, this resonates. I knew it, you know. I'm ready to talk to my partner. But maybe the likelihood is the partner may not be fully open, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're so stuck, us men, in our paradigm of like, no, 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 no. I have found my formula to sex. I mean, my woman has an orgasm, I think, you know, and, and, and <laughs> everything true, yeah. feels good. And, and mm -hmm. no, this is what I'm used to, and I don't want to learn anything new. Do, I, do you find that resistance coming from men usually? Absolutely, and I see it across the board again to be gender inclusive mm -hmm. because uh, we all have some of these insecurities around um, not being a good lover or not being able to get them off or not being able to... and. Um, you know, fill in the blank. You know, I'm not enough in <laughs> name anything in the world. <laughs> so um, bringing up these conversations, sex is one of the top five most challenging conversations, most vulnerable conversations to have in a, um, in a coupledom. And so remembering, I think that's really important for us to, when we're going into those conversations, to remember there may be vulnerability around this. So I always encourage my couples to approach with uh, starting with an appreciation, acknowledging one way that you love about them as a lover. Um, one thing that they're doing that really turns you on or one thing that they're doing that makes you feel desired. And then going into, I would love to continue to expand our, our sexual potential. So it's not, it's not framing it around something's wrong. It's inviting more of a, uh, uh, more of a solution-focused approach. Mm. I want to expand. Solution. I want to, I want to discover who we are as sexual beings. I want to transcend our sex. You know, and framing it like that, or even using this podcast as a third-party object right. to initiate a conversation and be like, bam, 
Tom, Dr. Kat and Dr. G were talking about this and it was yeah. so interesting. What do you think, you know? And right. Yeah. Maybe so, we can explore. Yeah, so that can take the pressure off of you of, um, you know, the vulnerability of bringing that up or the other person feeling attacked or cornered um, or uh, questioned in their abilities. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've noticed that in relationships, right, because through my life, the way that I saw sex was the way that porn would tell me to do sex, yeah. especially all throughout my 20s and all my experiences were like that until I felt so inauthentic mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do because I didn't have alcohol in me and alcohol oh, yeah. was the easiest thing to make me forget what my body wants. Yeah. Right. So I was fully focused on like, okay, no, this is how I got to do it. Right. Like I'm a man and I'm doing this and this mm -hmm. is how we, you know, mm -hmm. and I couldn't believe how uncomfortable I felt when I was like one of the first times really sober Yeah. and learning through the years that, uh, Maybe I have a lot more qualities of the feminine because, like, I need to warm up, man. I really need, like, a nice setting, lights, you know, yeah. like, some, maybe some music is a big plus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to make me feel like I'm in an ethereal realm. Oof, right? I love that. Yeah. Right? Where, like, I'm like, whoa, like, this is an experience. This is, like, sacred. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I can't, like, what, like, um, fast, like rapid, I can't just do it. Like I have yeah, to be yeah. really, like my body has to open up. Yeah. And then I'm good. Yeah. Right, then I'm open to whatever, but it takes a while. Have you ever noticed men talk like this? Because are, <laughs> am I the only man in the world who, because I feel like I am, I don't, I haven't related yeah, to anyone. I just want to highlight, I feel like hashtag Dr. G's ethereal <laughs> sex uh, ethereal life. Ethereal sex yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in the cosmos <laughs> doing like mudras in the air. Fucking love that. So. All of our bodies speak a very different language. And even when we go into a relationship, a lot of times we assume, again, this culturally constructed idea of sex. And uh, so our sex may start to look like that with our new partner. And then we assume that they have the same meaning, the same script, the same desires around that, that their bodies speak that same language too. But then as we progress and deepen into the relationship, we may start feeling dissatisfied. This is when a lot of couples come to see me because they feel like one person has a lower sex drive than the other person, or they feel like they're not a match for each other, that they're sexually incompatible. And I actually don't believe in sexual incompatibility. I believe in incompatibility when one person doesn't have, isn't as open-minded. And we don't want to shame that person. There could be so many reasons why that, that's the case, um, and it may be protecting them. But if we understand that we're all individual humans, of course we're going to have individual desires. And if we are speaking different languages that are just natural and authentic to us, then sometimes we might realize that. It's almost like I speak French and you speak Spanish and we try to have a dialogue and it doesn't quite land. I might be able to pick up a few things, mm -hmm. but not in a way that would be satisfying to me. Mm. So um, there's an incredible uh, sex researcher, her name is Jaya, and she uh, took this concept and broke up these different uh, languages, so to say, into what she calls the five erotic blueprints. And so these blueprints help us to be able to organize and identify with what might be more natural to us so that we have a starting point. And from that starting point, we'll start, uh, we will have more language to express what it is that we want. 
I mean, that's one of the hardest questions for anybody to answer. Mm. I know so many people who struggle with, uh, or will short circuit or freeze when I'm like, you know, their partner is like, well, what do you want? And they're like, uh, I don't know. It's like somebody yeah. asking you which restaurant you want to go to and you just freeze. And I'm like, uh, I don't uh -huh. know. Don't give me that responsibility. But it also leaves us deeply unsatisfied. So uh, these five erotic blueprints, um, one is sexual, and that's the culturally constructed idea of sex, more genital focus, orgasm focused, um, more easily aroused. Um, uh, sensual, which is somebody who needs more of that buildup, like the longer buildup, the more play, the more touch. Massages are really awesome. Um, anything that um, activates their senses, ambiance, music, um, candles. And they have a more difficult time with being in their body. They oftentimes get stuck in their head, so they need their partner to be able to help them to, you know, get, get grounded in here. Mm -hmm. Energetic is somebody who's more attuned to uh, the subtle energies in the body. So anticipation and teasing and hovering and, and the, the flutters of energy or shivering in their body, uh, they tend to be drawn towards Tantra. Uh, the challenge with them is that if you touch their genitals too quickly, then they short circuit or they, they completely lose their erection or they lose their um, uh, yeah, their turn on. Uh, then there's kink, and kink is more oriented to everything that's more fringe uh, of uh, around sex, um, typically not the cultural norm around you know, what, what we see of sex. This can be role play, this can be BDSM, bondage, um, power play, um, dominance, submission, discipline that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is shapeshifter. And so that's somebody who has more equal parts of all of those. And they can uh, take on the different, different languages. Uh, however, the shadow aspect of that is that sometimes they don't ask for what they want because they're taking on, they're just matching the other person where they're at. It, it, that was one of the most incredible things that I learned about. Yeah. But hearing you talk about the shadow side is yeah. so insightful because, you know, we read about it and we're like, oh, yes, this one is me. Wait a minute, there's a shadow side. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and hearing about the communication difficulties or, you know, how we can accept maybe these parts of us. I took this test, you know. Oh. <laughs> and I was only energetic and sensual. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> and I had 0% kink, sexual shapeshifter. My partner yeah. had... Uh, small shapeshifter, mostly sexual, yeah. and mostly uh, kink. Yeah. So imagine, there's like, we're trying to meet in this like energetic, ethereal Christian, mm -hmm. and I completely know exactly what you're talking about. Too soon, too quick, it, yeah. I, it, like it's a shutdown mm -hmm. component in my body. It's like, nope, done, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but trying to meet someone who is in more the general focus uh -huh. is, is interesting, because you're like, how do we meet in this like, you know, like cult, like cultural norm versus like ethereal floaty man. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Just, But you, you make it work. You can. And so when you know that, it's almost like now you have a toolbox. And then we can do what's called stacking, which is infusing these together. Um, so then I'll identify who tends to be the more sensitive to contextual breaks. And we start with that person and we start bringing in uh, more things to feed their erotic blueprint first and then to be able to bring in the other persons. Because when somebody is in a higher state of arousal, there tends to be 
more of a receptivity to things that wouldn't necessarily be their, their typical uh, blueprint or their typical just desire, you know, in their own erotic map for um, whatever that can be. Mm. And what helps about this, I really want to emphasize, there's, you know, we see movies and we see things like, gosh, there was a Netflix show called Sex Life, mm -hmm. and it was like the hottest sex ever. Oh, I, I was on the plane. My girlfriend saw it, and she was like, "I love this scene." And She's I was like, like oh. "So turned on right now." Yeah, I was right next to me on the plane, and she, <laughs> I could see her eyes. She's like, "I love this," and I was like, "Oh, you know, I don't like that. I don't like it too much, you know." But go ahead. Sorry, I know, mm -hmm. I know the yeah. scene you're talking about. But those are important conversations to have. What we don't see is that you, we see these movies, and it's usually straight into sex but they don't ever have a conversation before they get into the bedroom about what they like, what their boundaries are, what turns them off, what they need, what they're afraid of. And so it's not fair for us to compare our sex lives to that right. when that's not, they, they're missing a whole critical step in real sex. And when we can stop and slow down and have these conversations first, we can empower ourselves to create the, the context that you know, facilitates the best sex for us. Mm. Which we need more of everyone because it changes the dynamic of your own health. Yeah. And, and this is what I just opened with saying is like, we are grossly undernourished in our sex lives. And largely because of the taboo of just really empowering ourselves to be sexually aligned enough to say, I feel this, I want this, I need this, I love your partner, let's meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and how often are you seeing that uh, in men and women, like really not being able to speak what they want or even get in touch with what they want? And if so, how do we start getting in touch with our body and what our body's calling for? Yeah, and that's layers too. And I keep bringing this back into the culture because the culture, it forms a lot of how we understand how to function in life, you know, our family of origin and culture. You know, these are the things that create our, um, uh, yeah, internal landscape of how, how to make sense and operate in the world. So if for women as a cultural um, norm, many of us have been taught to suppress our needs, to not speak up for what it is that we want. Um, to put other people before our own. And I grew up in rural town, Missouri with, you know, a Catholic upbringing. And so it was really emphasized, put other people before yourself. Yep. And so that trained me to anticipate other people's needs. But I wasn't tuning into the, the stomach issues that that caused, you know, the, the anxiety mm -hmm. that that perpetuated, um, even the numbness that I ended up having as a result of trying to, how, trying to manage these feelings, the dissonance of the feelings, this rule, and what was really going on for me. And so... For many people, they also don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. If I ask for what it is I want, is that going to make them feel like they're a bad lover? Or if I ask for what it is that I want, um, do I deserve it? <laughs> or is this going to risk the loss of that person because they're going to say no, they're not going to want this, they're not going to want to step up and meet me in this place. So it's easier for me to self-sacrifice than it is to risk putting this out there that that I want this. Mm. And hearing that your time and growing up in Missouri and how you became blocked from your 
authenticity, right? Like yeah. the, putting people first. And I mean, like, I think that is one of the things, the plights of many women out there is not being able to truly authentically speak their truth, aside from just sexually. Just, mm -hmm. it, I mean, I've done so many emotional releases as of late, mm -hmm. and I'm working with women, and the number one thing I see is a disconnect in their throat, in yeah. their voice, and hearing themselves, hearing the power of their voice. And a lot of women have a really contracted, like tight, dense energy mm -hmm. in their womb. Mm -hmm. And they're so disconnected from their sexual power, right? Yeah. That is right where sexuality is. And it's funny, they'll, they'll breathe and they'll do these exercises and it'll become activated. They're like, I yeah. don't know, I feel tingling in my womb. Yeah. And that goes up to the stomach, to the chest. And then it's so connected to the throat. And we women lost so much of their power in their voice. So I can imagine how that translates to speaking your truth on sex. Now let's chat about something crucial. That is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products, as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with Omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Puris O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Puri is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Puri.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Puri. These days... These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha or coffee or tea, but not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century-old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash drg they're so confident that you're going to love it there's even a 30-day money-back guarantee no code at checkout just go to p-i-q-u-e-l-i-f-e.com slash drg you're going to get 15 percent off plus all those freebies oh my god so much and the somatic 
impact of that too. You know, for so many of us, again, because of these these uh, messages and these these beliefs, um, many of us clench in our stomach, or we suck our bellies in to be a specific, you know, body figure or whatever, or we're wearing all these really tight clothes that actually cause restriction, and so we don't realize how much we're clenching how much the fascia is rigidifying around that and making it difficult for us to be able to breathe into our bellies or breathe into our pelvic floor or relax the pelvic floor. If we're anxious, we're a lot of times pulling up on that pelvic floor, we're clenching there. So, you know, there's that. And then this busy lifestyle and this, um, you know, overproductivity, this pressure to, to produce causes us to, to move really fast and and go, go, go. And I see a lot of women end up having um, autoimmune issues, especially Hashimoto's. And so how, I like to look at how all of these are interrelated. You know, Hashimoto's has a lot, it has to do with your, your thyroid and, um, and hormones. And how, uh, you know, how is that, I talk to women about speaking. You know, are there times in their life where um, they, weren't able to speak out. I see a lot of it with unprocessed trauma as well. So I'm a trauma therapist as well. And so looking back at different distressing memories that might have initiated the activation of the nervous system in a way that they weren't able to complete um, or speak or, uh, yeah, be able to move through mm -hmm. the experience so it gets stuck. Mm -hmm. So the nervous system actually gets impacted in that and, and, and it perpetuates the... Yeah, and it makes sense because down the road you're seeing the physical manifestation of it. Right. And they just happen to develop Hashimoto's or thyroiditis mm -hmm. or something wrong mm -hmm. with their thyroid, right? Or off with their thyroid when really for me it's like, it's interesting, every person who's came to me for thyroid, not for thyroid, but for emotional release who has yeah. thyroid, all have issues with expression. Yeah. You couldn't believe how much energy is in their stomach and their chest moving up and how small that that bottleneck is. Yeah. It's like a pinhole and like, oh, it's just coming out just a little bit. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just trying, I'm like trying to guide them to, you know, like, let, let's let's hear our voices more, breathe together. And it just doesn't come out, right? Mm -hmm. there's, so there's, actually what I tell them to do is sing. That's beautiful. Singing, humming, anything yeah. that will help to stimulate the vagus nerve because mm -hmm. that helps to be able to calm the... Um, calm the nervous system again and mm -hmm. shift them into more of the parasympathetic system. But also, if, if so many women in our culture are in a state of stress prolonged, you know, that creates so much inflammation in the body. Yeah. And when we can either produce stress hormones or sex hormones, we can't do that at the same time. And so until we can help to teach them how to regulate the nervous system and get that oriented, then they'll oftentimes see this starting to, to reappear, you know, their desire for sex or, or the flutters in their body that the turn on. Yeah. yeah. Would you say that, that the, it's less the aging for libido and more our state, our mental state that is really tying down our libido? Absolutely, absolutely. There's so many women that I know who are in their 
50s, 60s, even 70s who are having great sex mm -hmm. <laughs> and great orgasms. And they have told me it's because they've been able to release their self-consciousness. You know, they're in a state in their lifestyle. They're not hustling. They're relaxed. They have a lot more peace in their life. They have a lot more peace with themselves. And they took this later chapter to really learn about who they are as sexual beings. Mm -hmm. And I think the culture for younger people now is very, there's so much pressure on this. This hustle culture, this go, go, go and do, do, do. And I do see more and more conversations that are being talked about mental health, trauma, um, inflammation. So I have hope <laughs> that we're going to start shifting the culture in that way. But I don't know. We also are emphasizing a lot of this biohacking, which nothing against it, it's beautiful, but is right. that perpetuating a um, superhuman uh, perspective or pressure on us? And these are just things that I, that I think about. Mm -hmm. um, how are we continuing to uh, yeah, pressure ourselves to be above yeah. and more? But in big time. And if, if I wasn't meditating or doing like any body, like scanning or just feeling my body, I would be so, my libido would be 0%. Like literally, just battery dead. Yeah. Um, if you're right, there's so much of the mental go, go, go. And mm -hmm. everyone, of, everyone I know is doing something yeah. and building yeah. something. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, like great, I'm so inspired. So there's people listening, they're like, I'm in a relationship. Yeah. And I want to better my sex life ASAP. And hey, partner, are you down? I'm down. So then how do we, what are some right off the bat tips to start bettering our sex life? Hmm. Okay, the very first thing that I want to pose, because I know so many people are going through COVID, so many people are going through COVID depression. There are different stages in your, uh, in your sexual evolution, I'll say sexual evolution, um, or just state of your sex life that we move through. And it's very important to validate where you are first before you can move out of that state. Because many of us um, might expect, our, expect us to be in one place, like point B, but we're really at point A and we feel the frustration of not being at that place. But we've got to start here first. So these different stages, the first one is resting. So this is for whatever reason you're not having sex. That could be because you're choosing, conscious, you're consciously choosing celibacy, or you just haven't been dating, or you um, are asexual, or you uh, don't want to, or, or maybe you went through a divorce and you're just going through that experience of like, not right now. That's important <laughs> to honor where you're at and give yourself that space and, and be with whatever you need authentically before you can get to the others. The second stage is healing. Healing is, uh, going through the stage of, yeah, healing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so maybe we experienced trauma before and now we're going through this um, healing process to resolve that trauma. Or maybe we just had um, uh, a baby. And so post, uh, postpartum, we're healing, physically healing the body. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we are healing a heartbreak, you know, and really taking the time to nourish ourselves in that. Then there's another stage of uh, curiosity. 
And that's where we may be interested in, in something more. We may be researching, we may be listening to podcasts like this. We may be um, uh, looking at YouTube videos of people who are doing bondage or, or uh, you know, power play or something. And, and adventure is the next stage. So curiosity and adventure kind of go along with each other because you're wanting something more. You um, may be trying out things. Maybe you're going to sex parties. Maybe you're just going to a sex shop. Maybe you're trying out different toys, different positions. And then the last stage is transcendence. And that's where you seek a meaning of sex that's beyond the physical and emotional aspect of it. So transcending, maybe you're wanting to experience God in sex or feel divine, or uh, you want to go into Tantra or BDSM or um, you know something that yeah transcends the, the image of what sex is. Mm. So if your partner is ad in adventure and you are in healing, that can be very frustrating. The person in an adventure may be like, come on with me, let's go, you never do this, you're a stick in the mud, you're, you're a prude, you know? And the person in healing is like, uh, I wanna be there, like I want these things, but I can't, or there's a resistance and there's something's wrong with me, I'm broken. Mm -hmm. And then they get stuck in that and it builds and it builds, the pressure builds. But then when they come to see me, I'm like, hold up. We're just in two different stages, so let's honor and validate that this is where we're at, and let's see how we can nourish both people in, the, in their individual places, and then we'll see as the person starts healing, they become more open. I've worked with women who struggle with um, painful sex or vaginismus, and they felt like they were broken because their partner's over here ready to go to sex parties or ready to go and try out kink. And having to to help facilitate this healing with, with their vulva. And then they all of a sudden, once that was healed, they were like, oh, I feel great about this. Like, yeah, I feel I'm a lot more relaxed about trying these different things out because before they were looking through the lens of, if I go and do these things, I'm not gonna be able to be what my partner needs. And so my partner's gonna leave me. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, so giving that permission, getting real about where we are first is, is important. Then I would say, if you're in the space of curiosity, um, you know, using third-party objects, books, um, podcasts, YouTube videos, articles, see what inspires you, see what uh, you're interested in, see what you're drawn towards, and follow that. Yeah. So if one particular toy looks really interesting, and I always give this suggestion when people go to sex shops because they're like, oh my God, there's just so many toys and there's so many things. Like it's overwhelming. And I'm like, yeah, totally. And pick the ones that look really juicy to you, that look really interesting to you because you're gonna use that. You know, you're not gonna use one that you got because it was on sale and it looks like, you know, the, my very first sex toy that I got, I think I was like 19, was, it looked like an alien sex probe. Like mm. it, it was purple, translucent, little rabbit thing, and it goes and it literally looked like an alien. I think I used it like once, mm -hmm. you know, but I got it because I was like, oh, I need a sex toy. So it's important to uh, create a relationship and, and go towards things that, yeah, that you're interested in, because that's going to create a feedback loop. You're interested in that, and that's going to uh, draw you in more.
Mm. What if then? I mean, I'm thinking about the curiosity part. What if? What if your curiosity is completely different than your partner's? What if your curiosity is tantric, for example, yeah. but your partner's curiosity is uh, BDSM? Mm -hmm. How do you? Where is there a meeting ground for that? Oh my God! I teach tantric BDSM. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> there is such thing, tantric BDSM. Yeah. and that's what I go. really want to emphasize. These things can can stack. These things can blend. I don't believe that people are so far out there that they can't find a way. There just may be an exploration of, um, you know, is somebody willing to explore with you is mm -hmm. important. Or are they willing to listen to you at the dinner table as you get all excited about the Tantra and you're like, hi, I literally want to do this. What about it? What about it interests you? Um, is there something... Uh, you know, asking that partner, uh, what about Tantra really interests you? Okay, and then tuning into yourself, what might I be open to trying with them? You know, even if it's not a full fuck yes, it can be, there is like a, an opening where I'm like, okay, I can negotiate that. I can, uh, I'm willing to try this breath thing that, you know, that you're interested in. I'm not ready to, you know, see each other as divine creatures of, you know, the outer world and ethereal fairies, but I am interested in, or I'm, I'm open to that. To breathing. Sexual yeah. negotiation is a critical tool I think we all need to learn. I think negotiation in general in relationships, um, and that means that we're coming to an agreement. It's not that we're uh, approaching this as a win-lose. We're approaching this as how can we both find a, a place that of agreement so that we're not self-sacrificing ourselves. Right. So your idea, uh, I'm sorry, your ideal may be different than mine, but there are steps we can take to find ourselves in the middle. And I like to break that up into three, three components there. So the first one is, um, uh, knowing what your ideal is. Yours is Tantra, mine is BDSM. Did you like that? I love it. Tantra, yeah, ethereal? Okay, mm -hmm. great. So this is where we start. And then identifying what your boundary is. So how much are you willing to give? Or how? what's your availability like? What's your limit? That Knowing that ahead of time, before you come into the conversation, will reduce the likelihood that you self-sacrifice. Many times people come into these conversations and they immediately give themselves up. But then that doesn't feel good and they might hold a resentment for that. So, boundary. And then the last piece is the edge. And an edge is that point of negotiation. It might be uncomfortable, but it's not painful as if you sacrificed yourself. So I'm willing to lean into this. This is an edge for me. It's a little, you know, like, I don't know if I'm going to like this, but I know that, that it's not a boundary. My boundary would be I don't want to do, um, you know, three-hour prayer session with, you know, breathing and eye-gazing. I'm right. not interested in that. Right. But an edge for me might be, um, yeah, let's talk about it at, at dinner. I bring in some of these some of these ideas and let's just talk about it and, and I'm I'm willing to listen and, and entertain your excitement around it. Interesting. An yeah. edge for me might be I'm down to tie you up, but I ain't down to get tied up. Perfect. Right? Great, I, we can do this. I love that. <laughs> I love this. How about at the dinner table I tie you up? Wait, you tie me up and you tell me about Tantra. Well, <laughs> 
or, or I feed you really healthy homemade vegetables. Perfect. And then that's a turn on for me. Great, but can we can we do something kinky with the vegetables? It depends on how far we go because my edge does not look good when I look at that <laughs> eggplant. This is fun. Hey, yeah, see? <laughs> I really no like this. Plant. Great. I love it. No eggplants for me. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, now I understand edge, yeah. corner, like uh, <laughs> each step of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, everyone viewing and listening can now utilize these steps to have better communication. Yeah. Man, what I've been finding is communication, aside from sex, is so important if you can authentically communicate what you need and say it in a way and in love with that yeah. tone, with that, you know, I love you, I see you for this. Can we maybe this? Yeah. It, because people are so sensitive, including myself, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So especially in sex, like yeah. any sex conversation with me, I'm just like tiptoeing because I don't feel super calm around yeah. them. There's a sensitivity. So uh, I love those steps. It's so yeah. easy. Yeah. And if we remember that we all have that that worry around not being enough or not being a match for a partner, how that can change our lens and soften us as we go into these conversations. Mm -hmm. And again, leading the conversations with, with appreciation and the desire to expand each other and evolve each other as sexual beings can be helpful. Mm. But we all come into these relationships, you know, with with our own attachment wounds and our own upbringing and our own internal rules around, you know, what could happen to us if I'm vulnerable and say what I actually want. So m remembering that, reminding ourselves that as we come into this can be really helpful. So everybody put a time marker on this podcast Rewind, listen to that again, and then go and talk about it. And then go and talk. There you go. Write it out. You have all of the mm -hmm. gems that we need to know. I mean, like, masterfully done. You gave us so much information and the amount of time that we spoke. Because, um, like I said in the beginning of the show, it is sexual health is the most undernourished and taboo approach to our healing. But, my God, it is fundamental. Yeah. When you think about health, sometimes, if not all the time, sex is right in the middle. And we're like, oh, I don't want to look mm -hmm. at that one, but I'll go biohack this. Let yeah. me just get this thousand dollar device. Instead, maybe I'll have better libido this way instead of like communicating with my partner what I need and being excited and authentically expressed mm -hmm. around sex. Yeah. How do the viewers and listeners find you? Where do we find you? Give us all the goods and information about what's coming up for you. Yeah, so they can go to sexloveyoga.com and that's hosts everything that I do. Also Instagram at sexloveyoga. Um, that's where I hold my uh, workshops, my retreats, my online programs, uh, my podcast, Sex Love Psychedelics. And I work with uh, ketamine assisted therapy and um, how that can help us to connect with and heal our sexual um, yeah, challenges and connect deeper with our partner too. Mm. So I'm doing a lot more work on talking about sex and psychedelics. I love that. That's the next one. That's the next That's podcast, it, yeah. Strictly Sex and Psychedelics, yeah. the newfound frontier that you're stepping into, man. You, I can't wait for that one. Yeah, um, hey, look, thank you. Number two, second go around. We're about to have a third in a few months. So thank oh. you so much, Doc. <laughs> for being here, for your wisdom, for what you're imparting on the, all of us, that we need this information. I really, really admire it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun.